Hello and welcome to this Epic Life. I'm Bailey Bena Andrade here with Epic Education Equity Trainer Rosina Capadia. And today we're talking with Valine Maharo, who is an artist, educator, and reproductive justice advocate from Los Angeles, California. She's the co-founder at SHIFT, which is a diversity, equity, inclusion, and sexual harassment prevention consulting company. Thank you so much for being here today with us, Valine. Thank you, Bailey. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Right now, I think it's an extremely important time to be having conversations with people such as you, who has a background in this diversity equity training, uh, especially because of these events that we've been seeing just snowballing into the civil unrest, right? So beginning with the murders of Maud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, leading to the protests, property destruction, right? And now we're here. And as leaders in diversity and equity, I think that there has been this level of responsibility of response that people have been reaching out to us for, right? Um, so how has that been going for you, just personally and professionally? How have you been digesting this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a a really important moment, I think, for us. We've been doing this work together at Shift for almost three years, but all of us have individually been doing this work for a long time. And I think to witness like the surge of people's somewhat panic, honestly, uh, coming our way and having to kind of just ground people and remind them that this is a lifelong commitment and that this work existed before their kind of enlightenment moment and it will exist after. So that if we are gonna actually engage in this work, we need to know that there's a long-term commitment here because we're not interested in uh, kind of checking the box, right? We're not interested in this performative wokeness or cap or allyship. Um, we're interested in long-term sustainable change and people are listening and people are saying yes, which is like, you know, we're before this moment, um, it, it took a lot of convincing for people to prioritize this work, as I'm sure y'all know, too. Mm -hmm. um, and it's unfortunate. It's painful, actually, to know that it took this country to witness yet another black man be lynched um, for people to take this seriously and to recognize that these systems of oppression exist. Um, so we're being mindful of that responsibility as well. Mm -hmm. uh, as non-Black folks doing this work, non-Black folks of color doing this work and doing our best to ground ourselves um, in, in being grounded in that work and reminding and centering ourselves and also like really just having folks breathe a little bit and inviting them into the long, the lifelong journey that we're on. I love that. I feel like we're going through similar stuff here at Epic and, um, you know, you do equity work for so many years and then you're like, well, oh, you didn't get it. And then people are coming up now and they're just like, I'm ready to do the work. Um, I've also noticed what you had mentioned earlier that, you know, this is a long-term effort. Have you noticed a lot of people being tired and exhausted already with this work? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been, um, not so much of the folks I've been talking to, but I've been seeing people talk about like allyship fatigue. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know, can you just explain a little bit of what allyship fatigue means? Yeah, I mean, it's a new term that's coming up for me too. So I'll do my best to kind of share. But from what I'm gathering, it's this like this exhaustion that people are feeling of having to like 
have these conversations of showing up to these movements of donating money of constantly being bombarded with this information I know a lot of folks of color are like, welcome. Right. <laughs> right. And folks that have been doing this work, right, are like, welcome. Like, yeah, it's exhausting. And I, I think it's funny. I think in my own personal life, I'm, I'm always like, kind of like, you know, made fun of for being like, oh, believe like the radical, you know, whatever. And then all those folks are calling me now, like, <laughs> being like, can you help me unpack my internalized anti-blackness, you know? And I'm like, yeah, like this, this stuff was always serious and I'm going to be here with you as you start to discover how serious it is. So, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. But I also feel like that's exhausting for people of color and for black people to do the heavy lifting to, because I know, I know a lot of my black friends, my colleagues and everyone, um, you know, it's become like, let's go ask a black person how we can support and help. Yeah. And so what do you do when people come to you with that or people want to say that or talk about that? Yeah, I think us at Shift are really clear about, um, reminding people of not laboring your like the black folks in your life right there are there are people who professionally do this who are also black yes call them pay them if they are receiving work at this moment um and i think for us like we i i'm personally not trying to as a non-black person of color not trying to indulge in like in that feeling too much because i really do feel like all right, like this moment is, you've been preparing for this moment your whole life. Like everything has like oh. step up and step into this moment. Um, and I have a beautiful community that reminds me that I need to take breaks. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I, and I, you know, I create my boundaries. Like I, I keep telling my homies, like I have a short list of, of free consulting I'll do. And it's a very short list. Um, but like, I have straight up told some family members that like try to engage and like be antagonistic with me. Like, no, I actually have a fee for this dialogue. So unless you want to engage further, like I'm not willing to actually have this conversation with you because we have boundaries and we can only hold and do so much. I'm doing this professionally. I'm doing this with like my friends, you know, my family members that I choose to. So boundaries are important. Mm, that's a great point absolutely yeah and I love how you say that you have a community around you and a workplace that really gives you that space to take that break because I just I love that about especially working at Epic I mean that's I know in our company it's hugely about taking care of all of us and we all really care about you know making sure that we're all okay mentally physically everything and I think that that's that's hopefully something that's going to become more commonplace in all workplaces through this work. Right. Because it totally goes along with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's part of the work too. Like we just finished uh, a training with the national conference for racial equity in higher education. Our workshop was like an on internalizing whiteness um, and white supremacy, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that is a big part of like recognizing like these, these systems of oppression, white, supremacy capitalism want us to be grinding they want us to burn out they want us to lose sight of the long-term um hope and Mm -hmm. goal and so you know to to throw out a lot of love to the nap ministry if folks don't already know about the nap nap ministry of like rest is resistance too Mm -hmm. Um, and i think it's hard to to like we got to call ourselves into that especially when this this work is like our life's work 
I love that. Put that on a shirt. Rest is resistance. I didn't make it up. The Nat Ministry did. Oh, Nat so. Ministry, yeah. But it, and it is true because I, you know, I feel like I've done so many other jobs and I'm sure you have as well, but I feel like this equity work is probably the most emotionally draining work um, because it is, I mean, really we're fighting for, for rights for just everyone. And it's like for equity and it's something that, I, sometimes I still am like, I'm in 2020 and I'm still fighting for equity rights for folks. Like, <laughs> why? But you know what? Hey, if I was put in the middle of this time for that, then we're put in the middle of the time for that. So yeah, mm-hmm. here we go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. Like this is, this work is us. It's so personal. Um, Cause we've, we have lived experiences in this. Um, and I also think that like w- what we're fighting for is also ourselves. Like yeah. I'm fighting for myself. I'm fighting for little brown Baleen that didn't know how to articulate racism when someone asked her why her skin was so dark. You know, like I'm fighting for that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's deeply personal work and my partner makes fun of me of like not knowing how to turn it off. Cause I can't, like, I just can't. It's, it yeah. is my life's work. Well that, and you live it on a daily basis. So right. like we were to talk about race. So like, for example, do you remember the first time you experienced racism? You as little Baleen? Um, where I knew it was racism? Yeah. I guess. I, I should say I grew up in um, white suburbia for the first 10 years of my life. So it was pretty consistent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and our family's like a super big, loud Mexican, Chicano, Chicana family. And so we were just like stuck out like sore thumbs. Um, so yeah. I mean, I feel like my, my first years of life were pretty clear. Like I knew, I, I always knew about race and I always had a context around race because the neighborhood that we lived in didn't let us forget. Yeah. And I think it's really important to remember that people, I think, fear talking to kids about racism, but the reality of it is kids are very, yeah. very intelligent and they notice race very, very young. Yep. And it comes up in a non like verbal sort of context as well as, you know, different things like your awareness is there. Yeah. And we're always absorbing these messages, whether we like want to like admit that or not. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I grew up on the age of like, I don't know if it's the golden era, but I can imagine that's how it's framed for some folks. The golden era of like Disney princesses, right? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> like wanting to like be like Ariel and even now like my nieces I know she she like they love like um what's Frozen mm-hmm. Elsa and, and Anna and like one birthday I think she was turning like four she like woke up crying because her birthday wish is that she wanted to wake up looking like Elsa and my sister oh, no. her yeah like you're you are more beautiful than Elsa yeah. because you have beautiful brown skin and brown eyes and you look like mommy and you look like abuelita and you look like her abuelita and you know and it's we're absorbing these messages whether we think we are or not and so by avoiding those conversations with young people you're you're deepening that wound yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why it's not something that you turn on and off, whether you work in equity or not. It's something that really we need to turn to this idea that it is literally woven through every aspect of our life. And that's why when people get to the point in this equity work where they where it's like it, it finally comes to them and they're like, oh, oh, right. Like this is something that I always need to be thinking about. This isn't like a checklist. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's overwhelming because it's so embedded. That's exactly it. And I think that's where that fatigue might be coming up too. Like you're saying, like people being like, oh my God, this is exhausting. Yeah, these systems are exhausting and they're everywhere. Every time we open up our phone, our computer, our TV, like access healthcare, you know, whatever, it's always, um, it's always present. So yeah, it is exhausting, but like we've been, we've been in these systems for so long and we need to, um, it's really beautiful. I'll offer this um, kind of like language I got from Menachi. Um, they are a really beautiful, they have this book called um, Decolonizing Nonviolent Communication. Mm-hmm. And they offer this framework of like not as a non-Black person of color, not engaging in hopelessness um, because that is a sacred space for the Black community to, to be if that's where they need to be. And that like, I've really been sitting with that. Like it's I can't, I can't engage in hopelessness because when I start to do that, I get tired. Mm-hmm. I get um, burnt out. I feel like it's not worth it. And that's, I just don't feel like that's my job. And yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So as we're coming to the tail end of this conversation, I just want to offer, Veline, what can you give to listeners who are interested in, wanting to dive into this DEI work, especially now, um, but may not know where to begin. Yeah. Um, I can offer the four steps of solidarity that we use in shift. Mm -hmm. Um, the first is self-awareness and that step is really like the going home, like understanding your history, your lineage, um, because we all have it. We all have ancestors and we all, and that, that has all informed where we are today. The second is like self-education. So really learning the intricacies of that history. Um, I know something that we've been kind of doing in shift is recognizing like the way our cultural lineages have been bound up with the black liberation movement. Mm -hmm. And there's so much rich history there that, um, and even if your, your culture or your lineage isn't right, like knowing that that still has pushed uh, the work forward for you to exist in this like current society but yeah self-education so self-awareness self-education create open and supportive environments or joining those those spaces that already exist um, because we don't need to reinvent the wheel like people have been doing this work forever you know mm-hmm. like y'all didn't make up this stuff <laughs> I didn't make up this stuff like I'm only working on the the legacy of so many ancestors um and then the last is taking risk, which is like the pinnacle of solidarity. And that that looks like that's something you have to assess for yourself. Like, what are the risks? Like, they can look as big and necessary as putting your body on the line in these like protests and these uprising. And they can look as micro as like not allowing that certain word to be said in your household that describes black folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there, there's, there's space to take risk. Um, to stand in solidarity. So I offer that and breath and pace. Don't move out of like this guilt or this shame because that's not serving anybody. Like you're not serving anybody by feeling guilty and shameful. Feel it and move through it um, because we need everyone right now. I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yes, thank you so much, Beline. We have also interviewed your two other co-founders at Shift and every single one of you have a unique but solid lens. And I think it's 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 super cool to have heard from all of you and the work you're doing at Shift is awesome. So please everyone go check out their website and all that they're doing. Follow their social medias. Yeah, they're doing great stuff. And um, 
Yeah, three solid women getting the work done. Here we are, world. (laughs) (laughs) Visit www.epoceducation.com for resources that will help you to understand and navigate the ever-changing world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We are a company that trains and transforms with innovative in-person and online equity workshops that support school districts and leaders to build capacity to carry on this work internally. Now go out and have an epic day.